Hello, Lion Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Welcome back to another episode of the show. Before we begin, just a friendly reminder that every Monday I put out the Prep List Items newsletter. It is a culinary newsletter for people in the food industry, and it is meant for me to share different um, ideas, stories, gear, anything in between uh, that I find throughout the week that I find interesting. So go to lioncookthoughts.com, hit subscribe, and put in your email to subscribe to the newsletter. Also, if you're listening on Apple or uh, Spotify, please leave a review. It helps me get traction, helps me uh, get out to new listeners, and lets me know what you think of the show. My guest today is Maura McMahon. Maura is currently the employment manager at Mohonk Mountain House in New Paltz, New York. She recruits globally to build the best-in-class staff at one of the, the most historic hotels of America. Mohonk's food and beverage team has earned accolades, including the number two hotel restaurant of the year, 2023 by USA Today. She credits the professionalism of her culinary, pastry, and dining services teams as a driver to attracting talent locally and worldwide. Mora has succeeded in the competitive space of college recruiting in the U.S. and abroad. She manages J-1 internship and training programs for culinary, pastry, front office, and food and beverage, as well as managing H-2B recruiting for other departments of the resort. Before Mohonk, Mora managed the career advising office of the Culinary Institute of America, where she worked for 18 years, and that is where I met Mora. Um, she was a very um, great person to know during my time at the CIA, very helpful, uh, always looking out for me, always helping me get great connections, and even now, I'm just having her in my corner and being able to um, you know, watch her career and have her watch mine. It's been a really a pleasure and an honor, so a quick thank you to Mora on that. She is also a certified hospitality educator from the American Hotel and Lodging Educational Institute and earned her master's degree in organizational development and leadership from St. Joseph's University in 2023. I wanted to have more on for a couple of reasons. Big one is recruiting. I think there is a lot of misconceptions and I just think there's a lot of great tactical advice, great tactical detail from Mora on how to be better um, when it comes to applying for a job and being recruited for jobs. We talk about resumes, we talk about interviews, and we talk about a bunch of different things and a bunch of different paths that can be led from the culinary industry. I think Mora is, has a wealth of knowledge. Um, if you do get a chance to speak with her, I highly recommend it. And she's just been someone that looks out for people, uh, cares for people in the food world. And from my time knowing her at the CIA, just someone who really does give um, a lot of care and a lot of interest in the next generation of cooks and people in the food world succeeding in their careers and at what they do. So thank you for more for coming on the show. Go to the description to find all of her contact info. Thank you all for listening. And here we go. recording. Maura, welcome to the show. If you'd like to start out by introducing yourself, that'd be great. Hi, Ray. I'm so excited to be with you today. Number one, to stay connected with you for all these years has been awesome. And I love not only watching your career, but how excited you are at watching the careers of other people in our industry. And you celebrate that and you celebrate a lot of career exploration. Um, I spent 18 years at the Culinary Institute of America, and that's when you and I met. And um, I was a manager of the career advising office. And so my whole jam, my sweet spot, my happiest days are when I have someone sitting with me talking about what are the options for what they can do with their life, what they can explore, things that really, you know, kind of light their fire and get them excited. And then when they find out they can kind of do those things for a job, that's just amazing. Um, so in the last two years, I've been working at Mohonk Mountain House in beautiful New Paltz, New York. 
It is one of the historic hotels of America. It's such a thrill to be here um, every single day because this place is like none other. Um, please Google it if you haven't heard of Mohonk Mountain House. But we, it's a, it's a family-owned resort and it opened in um, in 1869, 154 years of hospitality. We actually have a full-on museum on property. And the museum is like, how did you run a, a hotel resort in you know the 1890s before there was electricity and cars and um, things like that? And the elevator was run by the hydraulics of the water coming from the top of the mountain. Uh, it's really, really neat. Our, we have a full-time uh, historian who helps us um, kind of piece together understanding more and more the legacy of Mohonk. And my favorite thing, right, next time you're here, you have to come by and see it. She has a collection of menus that would knock mm -hmm. your socks off. So it's like, we're coming up on the holidays, right? What was the New Year's Eve menu in 1899? <laughs> there, there's all yeah. kinds of crazy. There was like um, peacock uh, on the menu at one point. You know, there's elk, there's all kinds of, I'm sure the elk was because like Teddy Roosevelt was here. Um, that was probably one of his things. but. Um, but it's really, really neat. And it gives me the opportunity um, to be on the different side of the coin. You know, for many, many years when I when I first met you, Ray, we would, um, you know, discuss all the time students that we were working with who had two or three or four offers. And mm -hmm. they would come in before graduation and sort of weigh those different offers. And, and what do I really want to do? And where am I going to go? And where's the growth opportunities for me? And now I'm on the other side of the coin where I'm making job offers and I'm, I'm trying to kind of take that secret sauce information I have and say, how do I make um, an offer to someone that could be, you know, an opportunity that will change their life? And I, I feel like I definitely have a chance to do that all the time. And um, I, my, my reach is global. Um, I recruit all over the world. So I just came back from a trip to Switzerland in October. And over the course of that 10-day trip, I visited nine different schools. And they are the top ho hospitality schools in the world. Um, you and I know beautiful hospitality schools, right? We know uh, the campus that, that we met at looks like a castle on the Hudson River. Well, these are like straight up castles. <laughs> um, and um, but what a thrill. So I, you know, I had the opportunity to go to a culinary school called Cesar Ritz. Uh, they have a museum as well, speaking of museums with cool menus, um, that one of the things in their museum collection at this culinary school is they had in little tins the cakes from all the royal weddings back. I don't know how many royal weddings back. And um, so that was, you know, really awesome. And um, but. You know, I, but there's also places that I go to, um, like South Africa, and I hold a recruiting day in Johannesburg, and there are culinary schools in the outer parts of the country that um, put students on buses at 4 a.m. and drive to come meet me. And um, the opportunity to come work in the United States is game-changing for them. Um, one of my one of my South African interns, they come for a, a year on a J1 intern. And um, this young lady who's working for us now is about to go home in January. And she said uh, that she's been sending home every single paycheck, every dollar she makes here, she sends home. And she has been building a house. So she bought a little piece of land 
and she's been building this small house for herself where she hopes to go back and uh, and have a roof overhead to live in, but also like start a small food business. And she's looking at like mixers and all this kind of equipment that she's going to want when she goes back. And I just think, wow, what what an, a remarkable difference this one year working in the United States at Mohawk will make to her. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So obviously Mohawk Mountain House is something that, you know, being going to school at CIA, I was aware of it, was there at the career fairs and whatnot. Um, yeah, I would, I do want to get into um, your travels and kind of the whole recruiting process, but I do find it interesting for a little bit of note to give perspective is when I left CIA, I actually kind of messed up where I didn't get, I didn't really do a lot of planning on what I was going to do post CIA. I had some directions I was going to go into and I, it all, all worked out for me, but um, like, right. I didn't like have anything planned for that summer. So it's interesting that, you know, hearing like your recruiting and whatnot and kind of seeing it on that end. Um, when you go into recruiting, when you're looking at like a place like Mohonk mountain house um, for yourself going and looking for people that are trying to find jobs in the industry now, um, what has it been like for like, what has been the biggest dynamic between getting someone ready to go get a job versus trying to get someone to come to uh, the job you're trying to fill. What has that switch been like for you? Because I remember you like, like you had, you would give the advice, have different offers, have different opportunities. But now, like you said, you're, you're in a position where you need to like, you know, make the place you're trying to um, offer to someone the most attractive. So was that hard for you to transition into? Um, no, not at all. I mean, it's really fun. And I'm going to maybe surprise you. I haven't changed my message. So mm-hmm. my message remains when I speak to a candidate. So I'll give you just an image. Like I'm in um, a career fair and, and I, you know, I still I go to the Culinary Institute of America's career fairs three times a year. Um, yeah. I also happen to go to Johnson and Wales. Don't tell all of our friends. Uh-oh. But anyway, but when I'm in a room and and certainly the ones in Switzerland are even bigger uh, and worldwide mm-hmm. companies, but I'm, I'm shoulder to shoulder with some amazing companies, right? Uh, and big places, you know, the Marriott's, the Mandarin Orientals, the Four mm-hmm. Seasons, um, you know, and so I say to people uh, for as much as I want the competitive edge, and I think this is part of my competitive edge, right? I'm like, I want to tell you everything I can tell you about Mohawk and what we offer. And please talk to as many people as you can today and come up with as many questions as you can. And let's talk in a few days when you have kind of thought about different things. Um, and I know that it's a really important decision that that student's going to make, whether that's for their one semester you know, internship, externship or it's their first year out of school, there's a big decision. And you and I say to them, look around you. The world is like at your feet, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to make sure that someone who's coming here to Mohonk uh, really wants to be here uh, and really is excited about what we offer. And that's really, it depends on who you're talking to, what's going to be the thing for them that's going to make them want to come. Um, so you really have to listen um, for as, for as, hard as it sometimes is in a really crowded space that's really loud. Um, I think a lot of times you walk up to a table like mine and you get everybody's elevator pitch, right? So in in 35 seconds, I'm going to try to tell you that it's a paid externship, that we have housing on property, that you don't need a car, you can walk from your room to the kitchen. Um, Because I know those are just like, let me check those boxes right away. 
once somebody knows that there's, you know, housing opportunities and it's a paid externship, they kind of can, can, can put all those other things aside and go, oh, okay, this is possible for me. Now let me find out from you what sets you apart from everybody else. Um, and you and I know so many young people that, especially right after after school, they don't know where they can go. It's like, should I hang around near home because I have a home base, I have housing, and can I commute where you're offering me a job? Or is it, uh, what are you offering that will help me um, relocate? And there's just like a whole lot to go into that when you're first starting your professional career. I mean, we're talking about the fact that you moved apartments this week. It's a lot when you're doing so sometimes I do give that very fast pitch just so that they know that this is an offer that they can and should consider. And then I can find out what's important to them. Um, for example, some of my um, talented pastry uh, applicants will love to see the Instagram page of our very talented chef, Audrey Billups. Um, she just um, shares a lot on social media. And that, of course, makes a big difference. But pastry people are visual people right? We know this. They want to see the color texture. They want to see something different and unique. Um, they love to, to really have that, you know, that plated entremet and see how beautiful that is. Um, if I'd love to also tell them that even though our pastry chef is a CIA grad who's worked at Michelin Star Properties, guess what? She continues her education all the time. And we just actually had her go to um, the Velrona Chocolate School in Brooklyn for a couple of days for a class that they were doing on vegan, vegan chocolate. And that's going to temper differently and that's going to maybe work differently. So you, you want to go to a place like that where you can kind of mess around with it and get some great ideas and share with other professionals. But the idea that they could be with someone who's a professional at the top of her game, but still continues to say, what am I going to learn right now? What can I bring that's new? What, and what are our guests need? Um, so the guests of course are asking more and more for things like what are the vegetarian menu items? What are the vegan items on your menu? And so we know there's an appetite for that, that we need to meet. Um, so, you know, maybe just as an example to, to, to talk to someone who that's the important thing for them. Um, that's really neat. I, I interviewed a, a guy about a year ago um, on a on my Swiss trip last year, <laughs> and it started like three weeks ago. Um, and I remember in his interview, he's from India, and um, his family has a restaurant, and he was telling me about this recipe that he was um, researching that was like 600 years old. And he was trying to find all the different, you know, methods and, and really go back to how it was originally made um, when people didn't have refrigeration and all this kind of thing. And, and I just thought as I was talking to him that day, he's going to love us here. You know, um, he's going to love the history part of it and that integrity of understanding what's on the plate and and selling to the guests the story. You know, we have a chef's table right in our kitchen. And so our guests love that. And, and you know, kind of like how our industry is changing. The walls are coming down. Um, either you have an open kitchen, right? We, we put cooks, you know, out with their toques on the, on the um, dining room floor all the time and, and people love it. We give tours um, in through the kitchen and our guests love to go station to station and talk to our cooks and find out where they're from and what they're doing. And um, so, you know, someone like Shiv is fantastic because he has that, you know, that kind of extra thing that makes him unique. And, and he's so 
always curious. We went to New York City together. So I had a, a group of my interns. Um, we, we do bus trips to New York City all the time during their year here with us um, in New York. And so, you know, it's the best time of year ever to go to Manhattan. And the tree was just lit. So we're all like heading to Rockefeller Center. And she was like, no, I have to go to this place to get this knife that I've wanted for years, right? So he's going to the Japanese knife shop to get this knife. And then he wanted to go down to um, like the tin building or somewhere down by the seaport and get oysters. And so anyway, the point is his first time uh, in New York, he doesn't go see the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. He's off on his own culinary adventure. I love that, right? So that's kind of where his jam is. So you you kind of have to find out for someone um, what they're curious about and give them an opportunity to know that they can explore that here. And then, um, you know, for some people, truthfully, maybe it's their wage. You know, we were an organization that decided, uh, gosh, two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago, that we weren't going to do gratuity anymore for our servers. So we went to a $27 an hour uh, wage for our servers, which is fantastic. And it was during the time frame, like when we had COVID and the dining room had to be spread out and you couldn't have that many people in the dining room, those people got paid for their time. And it wasn't just like, oh, I'm not going to make, you know, I'm hardly going to make anything today because we don't have many guests. Um, so, and I think it professionalized our staff entirely. So our servers are all full-time. We don't have part-time servers and they're people that are making a, a, a livable wage and they stay for a long time. So um, we have we have quite a lot of longevity in our staff for as much as I'm talking to you about like some of these um, people I've hired that come for an internship or a one-year experience. We do have a professional staff that stay on average like 12 and a half years. Um, yeah, so I'm... I'm interested to ask you then about um, uh, another big part of recruiting that I think is important is resumes. Um, for myself, I, so I'll give you my opinion on resumes, and then I'd love to hear your thoughts as someone who looks at it more than I've ever looked at in my entire life. So for me, resumes should be organized. It should be easy to read. It should highlight the best parts of your experience, what you have to bring to the table. But I've also been taught from the CIA and just from out in general experience and looking at resumes that they shouldn't be too flashy. They should, just, in my opinion, they should be like to the point, get what you're, like communicate what your experience is and what you have to offer to, to um, the company. For you, how are you? How do you look at resumes? Does any does, if someone has a picture of themselves and color on their resume, does that matter to you at all? Um, what is that like for you? And how do you approach resume? Um, viewing and sorting and all of that. Yeah. I think there's a lot about resumes that hasn't changed um, and probably won't change. And, and that those are the points that you start out with front and center, which is make it easy to read, make it fast to read. You always think, say, it's less than a minute. Those eyes are on the page. What are they going to see about you? So I like using negative space. In other words, like not, not having blocks of, I read a resume today blocks of text, you know, full sentences. I So I like bullet points that are fast and easy to read. I think um, one of the disruptors um, now that I try to tell people about um, is preparing your resume for AI, preparing your resume for the robot that's going to scan it before human eyes land on it. Um, and so, and some people get like kind of freaked out about that. So uh, 
about a three weeks ago, I, I went and did a class, a high school class, a high school culinary class at a Votech program near us. And um, I, I went to talk about this topic. And the coolest thing is I walk into this high school culinary class and the teacher looked at me and said, Maura, I said, yeah. And he said, you helped me write my resume 15 years ago. I was one of your students. And um, and I said, that's pretty cool. And he said, admitted in front of his class of students, he said, you know, I really pretty much have the same resume. I just keep adding to it, you know, but I, it's like still the same word doc, you know, save it as something else, save it as something else. So, um, so yeah, you can have a resume that lives and grows with you that if you make it um, kind of clear cut the first time around and you just keep doing that, um, you can, you can, it can stay with you. But what the disruptor is um, about the AI um, is really to be savvy about what they're looking for. And, you know, for, for, a, pl a place like Mohonk Mountain House, we're so human-centered. We don't use AI. I know I don't have a, a robot screening anybody, and we can go through um, our requisitions. Right now, I have a sous chef requisition open. I have, I don't know, 16, 17 applications. Like, chef is looking at them. I am looking at them. Like, people look at them. But if I was Google, Google Food Service is a really neat company to work for, they will get, you know, I don't probably 10,000 resumes for every application. So they have to use something mm. like this. And I think um, definitely the Marriott's of the world and, and Hilton's and Heights, the world, I shouldn't speak for them, but they're going to use something that's going to help them whittle through all of the applicants. And so look for the keywords that are in the job description and try to use some of those words. Um, I heard this story from Disney, not sure if it still holds, but Disney once said that if you had I on your resume, that it would just be thrown into trash and no one will look at it. I don't know that it's mm -hmm. still the case. That's kind of a little bit of an old story, but, but the, the fact is that they were probably using these kind of screening tools before anybody else. Um, and so you also need to make it, as you said, clear cut spelling errors, like spelling errors, if you have a um, an AI scanning it, they're going to pick that up and it's not going to be held at the top of the list. So And I'll say um, free scanning tool you can use. I use when I, I, I pay for the premium version because I write a lot on a side business, but Grammarly is a um, mm. Google Chrome plugin that you can use for any spelling errors and saves me a lot. So just a good counter note there. That's a great idea because you know what? We have our eyes on our resume so much. You know, mm -hmm. you look at it, you look at it again, you go back, that you almost stop seeing it. You don't see your yeah. own little minor errors. And, you know, you can ask a friend or whatever, but there's there's other systems you can use. I, I always say ask, ask a friend. Or if you have someone who you've worked for before, who you liked, you know, Ray and I um, were just talking about some mentors we share um, that are that are leaders in the industry. If you reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I, I'm cleaning up my resume because I'm getting ready for a job search. I'm just looking for some feedback. Would you mind just looking over my resume and giving me some, you know, scan it for me and um, give me some notes back? What's wonderful about that is that person who can be a mentor to you has a huge collection of people they know. And they mm -hmm. might say, oh, my gosh, Maura, you're looking for a job again? Ray, oh, I know someone who would be really interested. I had no idea you were thinking of that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people get jobs through things that are not 
job applications. Um, yep. And so that, that's probably, I, and I, I see you trying to create those networks in your podcast um, all the time. And so I think mm-hmm. it's really important to say, probably most of the people that we know who get the coolest jobs ever um, get them because they know somebody and, or they were ready at the right time. Like when you hear people say they were lucky, I don't know that luck has a lot to do with it. I think being prepared when the right thing comes along is how you get that magic. Um, Yeah, definitely. Um, I think another question, I want to go into interviews in a second, but you just brought up a point for me, quick little story. So I think there's a lot of value in reaching out to people, like you said. I'll never forget that um, when I was at CIA going on externship, I was a part of a extended externship time window where I had like a month and a half before and a month and a half after the summer extern because of how the breaks lined up, uh, spring break and like summer break. So I remember a chef of mine back in Buffalo had told me about this chef that um, was back in town working at a kitchen and he was like, you should reach out to him and see. So I Facebook messaged him. His name is Ross. He's been a guest on the show, talked about him plenty of times. Uh, but just that simple Facebook message, let me cook for him, learn a lot about fine dining, work, do dinners for like the Shende Rotissier. We went to the James Beard house and I helped um, cook for him there. So like there is an art, I think, in reaching out to people. Um, and for myself now, even like writing opportunities, Mary King was on the podcast a few podcasts back, had her on the podcast. We talked a few months later, she gets me a job um, doing freelance writing. And um, that has been, you know, that was a very... Um, good uh, opportunity for myself for the free freelance writing side of things. So for you, when you um, are looking at building networks, looking at people that might want to reach out to others, uh, what do you think is um, a good way to approach about asking for opportunity? Obviously, you know, I would never, don't think I'd ever message anyone saying like, Hey, like, can you give me a job? And that's it. But I think that showing interest, showing, sharing why you'd be interested and just asking to learn more about an opportunity is a good way. Uh, just a quick piece of advice for someone who might have heard about something but isn't sure how to initiate that conversation. How would you start that out? Yeah. So uh, I, I might sound like kind of an old fogey here, but I'm on LinkedIn. And the other people that are on LinkedIn are people like me that hire people. You know, Mm -hmm. and um, my highest paying jobs are what the ones I promote on LinkedIn. So like right now I have dishwasher on job requisitions and line cook job requisitions. Most of those I'm going to promote through Indeed because that's, you know, where people are looking. But if I have a sous chef, if I have um, a manager level role, I'm going to put that on LinkedIn. And the reason I say that is because even if that's not really your jam and you're like, yeah, I, I, I'm more like, right, I'm going to message someone through Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> um, I definitely about, suggest LinkedIn over those. Just saying that just happened that way. But I agree with you on that one. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what kind of job you're looking for. Can you get a really great job in a kitchen without LinkedIn? Yeah. But if you're looking for um, what we're talking about, these recommendation things, the reason that I think it's a really great platform is this. If you start early in your career, I mean, you could do it anytime, but if you start that LinkedIn and say you have a great experience, like you just mentioned, right, with this person you connected to, or you're at school and you have a teacher that you really, um, you know, connected well with, you got an A in their class, they think the world of you, someone like me who was an advisor or someone like me who I'm not, I'm not um, overseeing the, the culinarians that I hired in the kitchen, but I get to know them in HR, you know, these kinds of connections that you have, 
you can ask for that recommendation a la minute, like do it when you're having that great connection. You don't have, and, and this way I can go in and I can write a recommendation and I should do this tonight and, and, and do the things I say I'm going to do, but I could go in and write a recommendation for Ray and he'll have the chance to look at it and say, I want to post it to my, my profile or not. And you can choose to do that. And this way, if you are looking for a job a year from now, two years from now, you don't have to go like searching for, oh, I have to find Maura's email again and let me find out. You know what I mean? You can create this dossier. I think I have like 25 written recommendations um, on my LinkedIn profile because as I went along and worked on collaborative projects, not necessarily part of my main job, but um, side jobs too, um, it's just there. And so people, you know, you can build the network that way. But of course, if you have a job that you really, really are hoping for, and you have to, like, on our job applications, Mohunk Mountain House, we asked for three references, right? So I might reach out to someone who um, was uh, a manager or director I worked for previously. And the best ones of them will say, more I'd be happy to give you a recommendation. Do me a favor. Send me the job description of the uh, position you're applying for. And this way, when I write about you, I'm going to write about it knowing what are, the, what are the things they need to know about you. Like, that's, like gift, right? But you can easily do that, include that, you know, attached here, or here's a screenshot of, and um, because, you know, we're multifaceted and there's a lot to say about us, but when we're writing a cover letter, that's one page or a resume, that's one page, we have to be, you know, thinking critically about what we're going to share and, you know, our, our references will think the same way. So what is, what is, what are the things that they need to know about you, right? That you're a great communicator or that you're great with flavor development. Those are very different things I could spend pages and pages talking about. So what's going to get you that role and then what's going to make you stand out? Definitely. Um, I think the next thing I'd like to go into is interviews. Uh, I don't want to do a breakdown because I do want to get to your travel and kind of over, you know, kind of looking what you do more so day to day, the bigger picture stuff. But my last like tactical question for people listening, uh, there's three points of an interview that I wanted to talk about and get your perspective on. First of those being um, the the tendency for a lot of restaurant or food industry jobs to have long working hours. And I don't, I know a lot of people have been placed, like if you're going to be a chef, you'll probably be working more than 40 hours a week and not necessarily trying to avoid those jobs. But how do you suggest people go about getting a realistic snapshot of what the workload um, expectation will be at a job? Because I think that's something that a lot of people kind of, are timid to ask about or afraid to ask about. And obviously you don't want to be like, oh, well, how many hours will I be working a week um, and have it come off as negative? How would you tactically uh, ask about that if you were someone applying to a job and were curious about the workload? Hmm. I think questions like that are really terrific. I think the best questions you can ask are the ones where you seek specificity um, so that you know, because sometimes people speak in these big ambiguous terms and, you know, let's just talk about creativity and you're like, yeah, okay. But what I really need to do is be on that station and get everything right and execute um, uh, well and, and consistently. I, I think if you ask questions that sound something like, what's a typical day like? What's a typical um, day like in my first week with you? And then you get an idea of how much like on the job training there's going to be, because a lot of places will be like, well, there's your station, there's your knife, go, right? But if you have a place that's like, well, we're going to take you around and you're going to meet people and we want you to taste everything on the menu first. And, you know, you're going to get a sense for 
what's a typical first day in the first week, and then what's going to be a typical day once I finish my, you know, three months later. Um, you can ask if um, if they have a schedule that's a set schedule or if it rotates. So most likely it'll rotate. I mean, right now I'm working in a resort that's a very seasonal resort. So our house counts of our guests go up and down a lot between summer and winter. But if you're in, um, you know, 11 Madison Park, you're going to be consistent with the reservations all day, every day. Um, and so you're, you know, you want to find that out. That's going to be a really different answer from a seasonal place to a place that's, that's busy year round. Um, so you, I think one of the biggest things, Ray, is when, when people get their schedule is how far in advance they get the schedule. That's the question I get a lot, or I should say that's the complaint I sometimes get a lot in HR is like, I still don't know if I'm off next week and I need to make a doctor's appointment. I haven't had my schedule. So we would really like that. Um, all of our employees, and, and I'm not just talking about the kitchen, you know, we're overseeing housekeeping departments and maintenance mechanics and spa and, you know, front desk, the whole thing. Everyone's working on schedules where they're going to change, you know, sometimes you're going to do um, opening, sometimes you're going to do closing and how far in advance you know that. I think three weeks is a really great measure for um, if you know your schedule three weeks in advance, you can kind of plan. Um, I have seen people, especially young women, struggle with keeping their careers in a kitchen once they have families because they really need consistency because of childcare. Um, and so that's often when I have the call from a grad who I maybe worked with 15 years ago say, could you talk to me again? I need to pivot my career. I don't know that I could stay in the kitchen anymore, but I have some great skills. What else can I do with it? Um, I'm getting off of your question. I think you should ask, what's a typical day like for me? What's a typical schedule like for me? Um, how does it change throughout the course of the year, depending on your um, your guest reservations or guest count? I mean, I think that's what you need to take into consideration. I also think you should ask about, um, you know, is there a path for development and what does that look like? How uh, how long have they been at their job? What do they find? You know, and this is could be, a, you know, a chef de cuisine or sous chef or executive chef you're you're interviewing with. Uh, what's your favorite part of your job? How how many hours do you work? Because you may say I'm aspiring for a job beyond uh, line cook, but that's what I'm here for today. What would that look like to me? What do you need to see in me to um, to be considered for those things? And then you get an idea of what their expectation is and see if that matches with what you're able to to do um over time you know you know what's funny right there are some people that are hungry for overtime and want so much of it and other people that um that think that that's too much and they don't want it and so I, i'm always kind of trying to figure it out so i would say a year or so a year ago we had uh, I don't know how long it was, but you know, suddenly we had a season of like a lot of overtime and there were complaints about it. And then we have like this really nice staffing level going on for 2023. We kind of hit a really great mark this year. And um, believe it or not, I had people saying I'm not getting enough overtime. And I was like, I felt like I can't please everybody. But um, it's one of those things that comes and goes like this time of year. It's a perfect De December conversation because you know, in my job, I'm an employment manager. I try to look at what's the responsible staffing levels, how many we're going to need when. It's always a conversation between the hiring managers and department directors and folks like me in HR. Um, and there are times of the year where it makes more sense to hire more people and have like 
not as much overtime and just have more people working more hours. But for us, November slows down, beginning of December slows down. And then we have that one big week, the big week everybody has, right? Um, of the holidays, Christmas and New Year's, and then January is going to dip again, January, February dip down. So that's a perfect example of when, when overtime used right makes sense. You know, you're not going to hire how many people just for the last week of the year. So you go all hands on deck. We're going to work the holidays. Um, but in other times of the year, it's trying to figure out like in our business, we have to look at reservation sales, advanced bookings, group bookings. What does the spring look like? Um, what, what are the macroeconomics going on in the United States that might indicate what it's, what it's going to be. And I think, um, I'm sure you've talked to lots of people like this. It used to be that you look at the prior year's numbers and kind of go like that. And you can't do that anymore since COVID. I mean, that just went out the window. And so this pat to, to plan for this past year, we were kind of looking also at like what we did in 2019, you know, before, before and then we're like, yeah, but that's not, it's not exactly coming back in the exact same way. Hmm. Um, it's, uh, but so, you know, what I do, because you said you want to talk a little bit more about the, the nitty gritty of what I do. I'm trying to always put together that staffing mix. So I have um, job openings that open yesterday, last week, uh, that I'm looking for local staff. And I want to get that application in fast. I want to get them interviewed soon. And I want to turn them around, get them onboarded quickly, right? That speed to hire is so important. And then I have the um, recruiting that you're talking about when I'm like going abroad or going to colleges. And I'm looking at someone who's asking me for a summer internship next year, or they're asking me for um, a one-year J-1 um, experience, which is an international uh, visa for one year that's going to start April or May. Well, that's a huge planning thing. I have, um, we have H2B workers, which is like a seasonal visa. Um, those employees can work up to nine months, but they're, you know, so it's putting this mix together of who's going to be a short-term seasonal, who's going to be a year round, who's going to be part-time, full-time. And it's really, it's a, it's a very dynamic situation. It's always going to change and shift. And what's, what's good about, um, having that mix is that we can get it right better if we pay attention to it. So those international hires I'm very careful about because if we get to someone who's going to an embassy in a foreign country and paying a lot of money for their program fees and things like that, we want to promise them that job and keep it. Um, and then if we're short, we can do local hiring to support, but there's, I mean, we're always looking for locals first and, the international program should support it. But what we know, and I think a lot of people um, know in my industry in resorts um, is that the international hiring has to, we couldn't run without them. We do need that, that dynamic mix. Um, if you just are looking at who lives in your area, I mean, I'm on top of a, a mountain with 40,000 acres of preserved forest land around. Um, I have a small town at the bottom of the mountain. There's a university there, it's cool. But, um, you know, the Hudson Valley is pretty dynamic, but this can be a little bit remote. So um, it's gonna it's gonna take some encouragement. It's gonna be a little bit of, uh, let me tell you how great it is to come over here. A lot of people come for their first time on their stage or their interview and maybe have never been up to this part of the mountain before. So, uh, yeah. So then thank you for sharing that. The next little, uh, th second out of three points, uh, that I wanted to ask about is pay. 
we don't have to spend too much on it uh, time on it, but I think um, just wondering the question I get asked a lot, especially from people that are going from hourly to salary, is um, what uh, what is a good salary range uh, gap to ask for? So, for example, say someone's aiming to get fifty thousand dollars for a chef position or a sous chef position, depending on the market. But let's just use fifty thousand as the example. If your goal is fifty thousand, would you give the range forty five to fifty five? Would you ask directly for that amount? What is your um, advice for ranges? And then if a, we'll go with that. And then if a salary range um, that is offered is, I would say like there's a low, it's a little low. How would you manage that? And that can be for an hourly rate too. But let's first start with the um, range question that we can go into how to negotiate. Um, and like, yeah. we don't have to spend too much time on it because I know we'll talk about recruiting, but something yeah. definitely a lot of people have asked me about. Okay. So transparency in the wage is something that um, the Department of Labor's oversee state to state. So in mm. New York State, there was a law that just came into effect in September of this year that said that employers have to show a, um, a, a rate of pay. And you can do a range as long as it's a bona fide range, meaning that you actually are paying people in that range. And it can't be something ridiculous like 14 to $34 an hour. It has to be reasonable. Um, there are jobs that you'll see in other states that don't have that at all. And I feel like, I don't know, for a lot of reasons, I feel like I'm glad to be a recruiter in New York State, not to be one of them. Um, so I'm not a big proponent of applications that ask you what the salary is you're seeking. I think that's so, I, you know, I don't really think that's the best way of doing business. I feel like Look, what I do when we're trying to um, talk about, uh, we, we do a review of wages on every position once a year. And it's like, what's the going rate? And um, it's about the position and the role. And it's not about the candidate necessarily. So we already probably have a range. Um, I think you can ask the employer just as much as the employer can ask you. Again, I get kind of creeped out by the employer that asks you. Um, but know yourself, know your worth. How do you do that? Um, geographically, it's going to be different. You, you're in Chicago and I'm in the Hudson Valley. There's close, but you're probably still at a higher uh, price point in Chicago than here. Um, if someone was in Charleston, North Carolina, it might be a little bit less. Um, great. There's greatplaces.net. I think is that the one that has like what a typical two bedroom apartment costs in that place. Uh, what's the typical salary? Glassdoor is a resource that um, a lot of people use to say, here's the position, here's the city and state, what's the going rate? And the thing about Glassdoor, and, and Glassdoor and Indeed are connected now as part of the same company. Um, they have a ton of data, a ton of data. Um, you could probably go through departments of labor and stuff like that, but Glassdoor is a really easy way for you to see um, what the range is. And then when you go into each employer, you can see what the reviews are from the uh, people that work there, which I think is really cool too. Um, I mean, you know what, if you start high um, an employer's not going to say, forget you, see ya. If you start high an employer's going to say, well, we, you know, that's how we're offering right now, but this is what we're offering. And here's the other benefits of, and please consider. And I'm a big proponent, and I'm sure you've heard this from me before, Ray, but like know the whole package. Um, 
I, I made an offer to somebody and said, it's $21 per hour. And he was a real young guy. Uh, he was like 19 or 20. And he said, well, I have an offer down the street for, um, it was a mechanic position actually for $22 an hour. And I said, okay, well, we have um, three different medical uh, plans. We have a vision plan, a dental plan, um, paid time off, and you can start investing in your retirement after a month. Um, what do they have? And he said, well, they're going to be $22 an hour. And I said, okay. And it was like, well, it's a family owned place. And, you know, it's a guy and his two sons and I'd be the, the fourth person. And I was like, okay, so there's not a lot of growth development, you know, we have people here that started in this role who now manage the department. So I kind of always think like, think beyond the wage. If someone's within a dollar of what you're looking for, ask for the whole thing. What's the contributory healthcare plan? If they have one, what's the PTO? What's the, what are the other things that, that are going to make your life, um, you know, livable and exciting. And so I think a lot of times people don't do that. So listen to the whole thing. But I, I think if, if you're not going to take yourself out of the running, if you ask for too much money, if that's what your question is, you know, ask what you do your research, know how much that position's paying, um, be fair about it. And if they say no, uh, just listen to the full package um, and see what's important. And I also will say this, not everybody chooses a job because of the dollar amount anymore. Some people like that conversation. Um, he was hyper-focused on it. But a lot of people want to know about the other things. I make job offers all the time. You know what gets people excited is when I tell them they get a 50% discount off of our spa for a spa service. And if they bring a guest, they get a 50%. That is the thing. It, every time they're like, wow. I mean, that you know what retirement's like? You know, 401ks may not be exciting. That's really great money for someone. That's a really great, um, you know, bonus, you know, you know, added amenity to your job offer. And everyone gets really excited over the half price facial. But, you know, it's like whatever is going to um, listen to all the things that are included and and see if that feels right for you. But, you know, advocate with knowledge. If you're just willy nilly going, I think I deserve 90 grand. You better know what what other people are getting 90 grand for. Right. Yeah. No, I hear you. Uh, last question on this, and then we'll go into the travels and um, kind of how that's been. Uh, last thing I was, I would ask, or I would ask you to explain, and I know this isn't going to be relevant to Mohonk House, uh, Mountain House, because you guys have been around for years and you're very stable. But the last few years, a lot of people come up to me and, and asked, um, what would you ask uh, in regards to stability in a restaurant, stability in a job at a company, because of COVID, because of everything that's going on with the economy? Um, Things shift a lot, especially in the food world. And so are there any indicator questions? Are there any things you would ask um, to kind of give a layer? And obviously anything can happen in a business. Mm. But um, what would you ask to kind of get a sense of stability or security, um, especially in a restaurant position or a food service position? Well, first of all, know how long it's been open already. I mean, if this is a startup, the biggest thing about a startup is that's the that's the riskier part it's you know people like being in the inaugural staff of of a place like this is the newly opened whatever and if you have a really famous chef or something like that um then then that has a you know a little bit of a better chance but i think startups are the ones that i'm most worried about 
Um, and if it is a startup, make sure you're with people that um, might have the next best thing after. Um, like I, I know, I, I remember Kwame when he had his first restaurant and in DC, Kwame Onwachi, and, um, and it closed rather quickly, but people watched him and they're like, he's going to do a really cool next thing too. Right. And then he did a really cool next and next and next thing. And a lot of people followed him in his career. And so, you know, it doesn't always mean that's the end of the road. Sometimes having that first experience with that famous chef is going to be something to really be proud of on your resume. But in the interim, you had a disruption in your experience. Um, yeah. I mean, we had, we work with this strategic consultant team that came in and when we told them we wanted a 25 year strategic plan, they almost fell off their chair. They said, that's not what places do. They do a three-year plan. Um, and you're going to buy a place and make it profitable and try to sell a place. And so, you know, that is really kind of the way things go. Um, how do you check the financial viability? Nobody's going to tell you that. I like to see that, um, you know, ask around how long people have been there. If you're, if you're standing in a place and everybody's was just hired in the last six months, um, I'd worry about that. Um, you know what I mean? Because if they're having that high turnover, that's going to be an issue. You want to see a good mix of people in that, in that space. And, you know, not like, it's not a problem if you work for someone who's been there six months, but you know, if everybody's there, um, it, it, a short period of time, I'd worry about it. I want to see some longevity in the staff. Um, I would definitely look up who owns that. Like if it's a restaurant, is it part of a restaurant group? Who owns it? Is it in a hotel? Something like that. Um, if it's an online business, you know, is it like publicly traded or what's the, um, what's the setup on that? You can usually find out if there's angel investors involved and where they're from and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, research the heck out of the place that you're going to work for. You're, you're, they're investing in you and you're investing your time and, and energy in them and see what you can find out. But sometimes it's really hard to find out. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for deep diving all that. I think we spent the last 40 minutes on recruiting 101. So a lot of knowledge shared. So definitely want to get before we hop off into the traveling you've done and kind of uh, more of the nitty gritty of your job specifically. Uh, I think I do know actually quite a few people from the CIA that have gotten into recruiting. I do think it's a cool path to get into. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people, I, I don't remember, I think, I don't remember who I talked to, but there's definitely been this prevail, this prevailing idea in myself that, you know, if you go into hospitality because of the want to cook for people or the want to interact with people. And I find that the people that like to interact with others can do really well in recruiting because of their ability to, have that interaction, have the ability to sell, have the ability to kind of get what people are going through. So for you over the last few months traveling, can you first share why, I mean, you kind of shared with the, why you would travel internationally to get help because obviously Hudson Valley, New York could be a little remote, but what is the um, impetus for you to travel to different parts of the world and what are you looking for? How are you trying to recruit out there? Okay, let, let me um, touch on the first thing you said first. So people that are in a restaurant, you know, in the dining room or in the kitchen who wanted to get who want to get into HR, the the bridge for that that I see is training. Um, being a manager that you're now training new staff, being a training manager that's you know training the trainers, 
Um, that's the thing. So if you have your service standards and you're taking new staff and you're training them, and then you're taking your existing staff and doing other certifications with them, that's a really great bridge because then you're like a learning and development specialist. Um, there's a woman who, um, who I met because she was a recruiter from Union Square Hospitality Group. Her name is Rachel. And she started to she started a training program, and then it was so successful what she was able to do that uh, Danny Meyer encouraged her to start her own business, and so she has a business called Opus Training that's specific. I, she I haven't talked to her in years. She owes me for this pitch, but <laughs> but anyway, her, her deal is um, she'd be great to have on your show. But is to train people in restaurant staff that don't aren't in front of computers, but they all have their cell phones with them. So how to do this remote um, cell phone based training program. But so and now she's kind of this, you know, huge developer in her space and founder. Um, so I, I see like if you are someone who trains new people and training and then becomes director of training, that's a really great bridge to recruiting. And then those people also tend to be someone who can spend four and a half minutes with the new hire and get a quick idea of what they know and what they can do independently, what they're clueless about and need to know, uh, what they sort of studied in school but never really saw happen. And you go, okay, you know, you see chefs too. Like you could see someone pick up a knife and this is what a stage is for, right? And you give them a, you know, simple prep to do. And even if it's just cutting vegetables, you're like, is their station clean? Is it organized? Is their person clean right their uniform? Are they on time? You can you know, intuit so much about a new person within that first um, shift. And I think those, those folks that do that very well are really great trainers. Um, they also are really great teachers. I, I have seen people that, as I mentioned, that high school culinary teacher, uh, they spent years in restaurants before deciding to, to teach high school students. And now they work Monday through Friday. Um, I've seen people go into buying. Um, there's a specialty food company on the East Coast called Baldor. I'm sure Ray knows Baldor. Um, and I've seen really great success with folks that that can speak the language of the chef to one another. And um, they don't come across as like a cheese salesperson as much as a culinarian who's having conversations chef to chef about what you're going to need. Oh my gosh, you know. It's coming up on rhubarb season. It's really short. Let me sure. Let me make sure you get what you need, and you don't run short and things like that. Um, and so, and then I've even seen people that get into uh, point of sale, like software development, because when you're on the floor, you know what you need, and um, you know how to how to make it better. And there are a lot of kitchens now that no longer have the tickets, the the ticket with the big. Now that they're static and, um, you know, it's a different sound literally in the kitchen. Like you walk in and it's quiet. It's weird if you're used to the thing like that. Um, so there's, there are innovators in the space that go look around and go, how can we do this better? How can we train people better? How can we serve our guests better? How can we, you know? And um, I think that's interesting too, to see people that um, are not just head down on the cutting board or in the saucepan, but like what else is going on here? And I think those are people that are going to, um, probably create positions that don't exist today in the culinary space. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so recruiting and doing what I'm doing. So I used to be in a room all the time um, for career fair days with 150 of the best um, restaurants and, and hotels in the United States. And I would see them fight over the students that I was representing. 
So I knew what a good company looked like and I knew the companies that would um, churn through staff quickly. And uh, I think training programs are really important. I think if you see organizations that are willing to um, do tuition reimbursement, as an example, I completed my master's degree last this year because my employer paid for tuition reimbursement for me, which was great. Um, are they are they looking to develop you or, you know, as I mentioned, the chocolate class for our pastry chef, right? Um, those kinds of things, I, I think, are make the big difference. Um, for me, knowing that the person who had the job before me uh, was also reaching across the world and doing all different kinds of um, recruiting was exciting for me. And I was, you know, I was always kind of joking, like someday you'll retire and I'll take your job. Like I, I knew I wanted this job for years. Um, but then going back to how, how you've made your, your stake and, um, not only just silently wishing for a job that you want, but telling someone, you know what, that's what I want to do. Um, how am I going to get there? And saying it out loud sometimes and asking people, how are you going to do it? Um, so, you know, for, for me, uh, the, the, the trips that I'm taking, Ray, are really critical to us being able to meet the needs of our guests when we need them. So, for example, um, summer. Um, I have some American college students that can can come and they can come end of May. It's all calendar based. <laughs> they can come end of May to like middle of August. Middle of August for me is like not there. I need I need past Labor Day. So um, a lot of the recruiting that I do in um, in the the college or young person like under thirties area um, is because those university schedules in the other countries dictate when they can take their summer work and travel. So that's something that the State Department puts out every year. So all of the Polish universities are going to have their vacations start, you know, June 15th. Uh, in Mexico, they're starting here. And I actually are looking at the university schedules of different colleges around the country to go, okay, I need to cover before Memorial Day and after Labor Day. And what's that, what's that mix? And because we have housing on property, um, that's, it's at a premium. I don't have it in abundance. I have just enough of it. So that's really important for me is how am I going to use those rooms? Um, because that's a make or break for people. Um, if I'm having someone come from another country for four months, they can't like rent an apartment, get all their furniture, get all the things It has to be that they're staying on property. So actually the building I'm sitting in right now doing the podcast with you was, was built in 1899 as, um, a dorm for summer staff. Uh, so the smileys in there um, and, you know, all the, the ways that they kind of created their business here, they knew that was critically important to have housing available <clears throat> um, because of where we are on top of this mountain. And so I have to really be thoughtful about um, that space in particular. So uh, nice. Yeah. It seems a lot of balancing, a lot of filling needs, but um, no, it's awesome. I follow, obviously follow, we're friends on Facebook, follow you along. So it seems like a really yeah. cool adventure as you've been going on. Yeah. And we'll have, just give them a shout out. So we have our recruiting partners. When I go, I don't create those connections um, all on my own every time. I, I rely on, as we all do, um, success by having really good partners. So in Zimbabwe, South Africa, I work with an organization called Awesome Work and Travel. Um, in Mexico, Latin America, and Eastern Europe, I work with a group called Resort Leaders. Mm -hmm. um, 
the, the Swiss um, trip and also my H2B program, which is focused really on Jamaican recruiting. It's all done through Yummy Jobs. And then we also do um, Dynamic Global Exchange is a visa sponsor that does a lot of like Serbia, Montenegro, and Jamaica. So it's also kind of knowing who the organizations are and where they have their connections in universities or you know professional spaces, and um, and know and allowing them to know our property, come here and stay, dine mm-hmm. with us, know mm-hmm. what we're looking for, know and know what our personality is and what our service standard is. Okay. Yeah. No. I think uh, I think it's really interesting. Thank you for sharing all that. Uh, so we're coming up in an hour. Uh, a lot of stuff we've covered. Any last uh, messages you'd like to um, share with people uh, on the podcast before we head on out? Oh my gosh, I would be um, upset if I didn't share my website. Sorry, but it's so yeah, any, anything anywhere people can sh- no so anywhere people can find you, connect with you. I'm sure there would be people that want to talk to you. So any information like that would be helpful now. So it's www.mohunkjobs.com is where I have my Mohunk Mountain House positions. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn um, because I mentioned that. So connect with me. I'd love to know that you heard uh, heard my voice on Ray's show. And um, I think what he's doing is really spectacular. Um, my thing it, it, that makes me really happy, Ray, is to see someone like you doing what he loves and getting better and better at all the time. And um, so I love staying in touch with all my CIA friends and, uh, and also the, the people that I've met here and see them, them grow and develop. That's really what makes it all happen for me. Awesome. Well, thank you for Thanks, that. Mike. Thanks for all support over the years. And um, yeah, I'll have your LinkedIn. Um, I'll have the Mohawk Mountain House Careers page. I've just pulled it up. And um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. And bestplaces.net, I think, is the one that gives you like the cost of living in different cities. That's that's what's yeah, I think that's what's called. Awesome. Thank you, Maura. All right. Have a wonderful weekend and a happy holiday ahead. Cool. So don't go. There you have my interview with Maura McMahon. Thank you all so much for listening once again. I hope you all enjoyed the episode and got some great tips from her. Go to LineClickThoughts.com to subscribe to the newsletter. Leave a review if you're on Apple or Spotify. And I'll see you on the next Line Cook Thoughts podcast.